Welcome to Building the Future, hosted by Kevin Horick. With millions of listeners a month, Building the Future has quickly become one of the fastest rising programs with a focus on interviewing startups, entrepreneurs, investors, CEOs, and more. The radio and TV show airs in 15 markets across the globe, including Silicon Valley. For full showtimes, past episodes, or to sponsor the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Daniel Nissan. He's the founder and CEO at Structured Web. Daniel, welcome to the show. Hi, Kevin. Thank you for having me on the show today. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. You've done a phenomenal amount of stuff before even Structured Web. So how about before we get into what you're doing today, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with kind of where you grew up. Yeah, I, I was born in Israel and grew up there uh, cool. in a small town in the desert and uh, near the Dead Sea, which I believe maybe people will know right. that part. It's in, in the Negev, a cool. very dry area, not much rain, but you get snow from time to time. Okay, interesting. So walk us through your, like, did you go to, did you go to university? And if you did, what did you take and why? No, actually, uh, I went to, like every Israeli at the age of 18, I joined the Army. I okay. joined the Air Force, went through pilot training initially, oh, didn't finish cool. that training, and later on moved to the um, intelligence forces of the Israeli Air Force. Uh, so it was a kind of a combat intelligence unit with a field unit that did different missions to gather intelligence. Interesting. And there, uh, so I spent about six years in the army, went through officer academy and went to, back to that unit and learned a lot about you know, uh, army planning, uh, intelligence gathering and processing. And at some point we got my access to uh, a PC that started to pop up in the army an IBM original computer and got excited to explore what else you can do with that. And from that, that was part of in past that I started much at earlier age uh, to explore computers and, and find how to use them in, in business or in army operation or otherwise. Okay. So what made you want to go into the army and the air force and then, and what got you passionate about technology at an early age? So army was, it's a mandatory. So you have to go at oh, the age of okay. 18, you have to go, you have a mandatory three-year service and okay. you go through different evaluation. They, they choose you, don't choose. So I was, uh, I went through different tests and evaluation and they um, uh, accepted me to the Air Force Academy at the beginning. Um, at early age, I, I don't know, I got a very small Sinclair computer when I was, I think, 14 years old, 15 years old. And after that, an Atari and Commodore. And I don't know, that technology from the first time I put my hands on a keyboard got me fascinated. I always want to think, what do you do with that? I was less interested in hardware, always software. And always, what can I do with that? If it will be a games or business application, or later in the army, developing a, a system to manage a database of targets and manage them on the map. I was in a small field unit and, and used to visit a lot of the headquarter and they have those fancy maps that you see on, on movies on big screens. And we were still pointing, you know, pins on paper maps. And I said, I want something like that. And we figure out how to take a, a personal computer and turn it to be a target management system at the price that was probably 1% of what they spend on those headquarters systems. Wow. That's cool. Interesting. 
Okay. So walk us through the rest of your career, maybe some highlights along the way up until Structured Web, because you've, you've done some astronomical stuff before Structured Web as well. Thank you. Yeah, so after after my army service, I started my first startup with a friend and was mostly focused on building a software for business operation uh, okay. in the Israeli market. At that time, Israel was maybe four or five million people a country. Today, it's a, they're reaching close to 10 million people. Um, so we sold a specific vertical market and a few, I said, a year, year and a half later, we had the entire market share. Wow. <laughs> so we said, okay, what's next? What do we do? It wasn't a big market. It was a tiny market, but we, we almost got everybody we could sell the software to um, that time. So we, we looked around and said, look, we have to go outside to build this a software company that will create a, a product in English to the American market. And luckily we had access to a car that was then, then being developed by Intel and to enable you to send faxes right from computers to do uh, you know, write the document on your computer and then click connected your uh, connect the fax card to a phone line and then you can send faxes uh, to people right from the system and we said well, it will be nice if you take that combine it with the letter combine it with a database of fax numbers and people and you could do a mass blasting of faxes personalized to people with their information uh, so we built that product uh, called the uh, uh, Perfaction. Um, okay. The Intel card calls uh, Satisfaction, F-A-X in the middle. So we felt it would be nice and we had an OEM deal. Uh, Intel included that product in their, in their product and sold to market. And uh, that was my first kind of US venture as well. And they came to market, tried to sell it, didn't work out. And a year later, I returned to Israel. Uh, then uh, later on, I came across another company that knew me from my doing the prior company and they offered me to join. It was a, a group of uh, five engineers, a company called Vocaltech, and they develop a, a technology to run voice of, over local area networks. And uh, when I joined them, I said, this is nice, very interesting. Uh, but what about if we take it and put it on this something emerging called Internet? I'm talking about early 1993. And early, uh, I had yeah. the luck before before I joined them. I just got a, a call from a friend of mine that was a professor in Weizmann Institute in Israel, and he introduced me to the internet and to the web first web browser, and, and that was fascinating. So I did kind of one plus one. I said, hmm, we'll, "We'll take that voice technology, put it on the internet." And I see a reason. I see value people, right? They can talk to anybody around the world and don't spend between door to five dollars per minute. Uh, it sure. was a challenge because technology was not there that the level could run it bandwidth, like compression on computers, CPU power. So the idea it came kind of we had a, a product that could let you run voice over a local area network in late 93. And it took us about two years to come with a product that enabled you to uh, run voice over the internet. For people that don't know that back then, you run internet connection over modem connection with a right. very narrow bandwidth, like 14.4, 28.8 bits per second. Interesting. So, uh, keep going. Sorry. So, so we, 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 we launched that. That was a big success, a lot of innovation. And you know, we had an internet product, so we had to sell it. So there I developed the first e-commerce uh, application to sell uh, software over the internet. And we sold close to $10 million worth of software in one year. 
Wow. Uh, also, we had to advertise. So we did a lot of advertising, build affiliate marketing. We didn't call it that name, right? But we right. went to different websites and said, hey, put our banner on your website, click to our website, and if somebody buy, we'll pay you 20% commission of the transaction, right? And we did online advertising with uh, mostly websites because there was no advertising infrastructure and right. successfully took the company public in 1996. And it was the second ever internet IPO after Netscape. So Netscape was the first and Vocaltech was the second. Fascinating. That's cool, man. Very cool. Yeah. Okay, keep going. Yeah. <laughs> uh, after that, I was approached by somebody that came from the consumer packaged good industry, uh, kind of groceries, and said, yeah, oh, and they did. Let's uh, sell groceries online. You understand the e-commerce, you build this platform. And join me. So I joined him and, and we founded the Net Grocer. That was the first online grocery uh, supermarket online. Um, and uh, that was uh, focusing mostly on, on dry goods. So the idea there wasn't to replicate a supermarket, it was kind of a combination between a supermarket and a club store like Sam's Club or Costco. Gotcha. So, but the items was the regular items you find supermarkets. So we didn't ask people to buy those bulk items to invest a lot in inventory but more efficient, reducing the cost of the you know, fulfillment, reducing the cost of uh, storage and, and driving value through online commerce. We were selling uh, groceries at about, I would say about 25% below supermarket prices. And we had a deal with FedEx, so which was interesting. I, I went to Memphis, met with Fred Smith and convinced him to join us as a strategic partner and to deliver groceries and he told me look you're sitting on a chair that actually sam walton sat on sam walton from walmart and i told sam walton he said he told me fred smith that one day fedex will deliver groceries because we need the volume of delivery on a daily basis to residential in order to justify all the infrastructure we build to deliver gifts in during the holidays right mind you that was the early days of e-commerce so the volume of e-commerce deliveries in general were still small and companies like FedEx and UPS and other were looking for a way to drive the volume and justify and the whole infrastructure, cost of drivers and so on when they deliver to residential uh, because it was much less profitable or most of the time not profitable to deliver to residential areas compared to businesses. Right. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Keep going. Yeah. So did that and uh, for a few years, and then we tried to take the company public. There was a financial crisis in 1990, late 1998. The IPO didn't succeed. I left the company and then started Structured Web. And the idea of Structured Web was kind of cumulative of my experience on the internet from you know, building website, doing marketing, um, dealing with the technology, understand the opportunity, understand how fast it keep, uh, keeps moving. Uh, but also understand the challenges of uh, a small business or an emerging business to build their uh, online presence. And uh, so the structured web idea was at the beginning um, to build a vertical market solution. So we build a platform and within that platform, we can build different solutions for different industries and create structured web. So if you're in a specific industry that we target, our first industry was chiropractors, we'll okay. give you a ready-made website, not a tool to, web, to build a website, not a, a service to create a custom website, not a do-it-yourself website, but you go in, you put your name, your logo, opening hours, and some additional information, click save, 10 minutes later, you have a fully functional website with all the content, all the information, 
that you can imagine that you'll need to run a, a website for chiropractors, right? And, and the idea was that chiropractors are local businesses. They don't care if somebody in 5, 10, 20 miles from there running something very similar. The application enables them to do a nice degree of customization. So you can differentiate yourself from the other, but you can get it at a low cost, $50 a month. That was the cost for the service and 10 minutes of work and you're up and running. And we kept it up to date. So new content, new technologies as continue, things continue to emerge. The idea was that we'll keep that uh, tech stack for your website and web presence from you know, appointment scheduling to other features and capabilities. Uh, if we would have continued to serve the market, maybe patient records and test results for other industries, the idea was to add more technology and more capabilities to that core structured website as the technology continue and evolve and emerge over the coming years. Um, but we tried chiropractors and at that time, 2001, we launched the first product and we didn't get much interest from the market. People would say $50 is a lot of money. Why do I need the website? I don't need it. I don't have an internet connection. I cannot even see your demo. Um, so we were looking for a other industry that we said will be more proactive selling online. And, but we want to also stay in the B2C space and we picked up the travel industry. So we built a vertical product for travel agents. It was a combination of, a, again, website with product catalogs. And we went to different uh, travel suppliers, mostly on travel packages, resort, cruises, and others. Not, not just airlines and hotels. Uh, things that are more common to travel agents to sell to their customers. And we built for a travel agent to come to Structure Web, um, build in 10 minutes a, a website with your information, and with different packages that you offer because we have connection to a lot of the, the travel suppliers and and then build an email marketing system on top of that so you can market your practice go to market and they reach customers and drive demand for travel services interesting all, okay all good but one one problem we launched the product on september 9th 2001. oh wow okay so two days after that we didn't have a market right okay um, but we had the platform and the platform was horizontal so we could craft from it another product and we looked around virtually looked around no not virtually actually looked around and across the street was the offices of panasonic and okay. my vp of sales at that time and a guy by the name of richard jeremiah said look i work in a telephony business I worked in Dictaphone before. Let's go to Panasonic and tell them we'll build a structured website for the resellers. And we went to them and they said, create for us something. We'll go and show it to the resellers. So we did that and they, they liked it. They took it to the resellers, came back to us after a few weeks of roadshow and said, we want to buy it. And can you send us a proposal? We sent them a proposal. So we'll send you a purchase order. Now, 20 years later, we are still waiting for that purchase order. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Good advice, yeah. though. Yeah. I always say it's it's a nice idea until the check clears in my bank account. <laughs> <laughs> I wait seven days after that. That's the rule. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, 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 there you go. Yeah. So they, they, they said, went to the channel partners and told them that they want to offer and, and they told us the partner got excited so he says no but if they got excited why won't we try to sell it then we already had the product ready right we had a panasonic right. reseller website ready with the catalog with all the information because we prepared everything for them for the roadshow and the end of december 2001 
I went to the website, scrubbed the list of their channel partners, made phone calls. I think I made one day 100 phone calls and I got 20 orders at the end of that day. Wow. So look, 20% success rate, that's something that you don't usually come across and, and that's what we did. So we went and called the resellers. I think a month later, we doubled the price. So we started selling it for $1,200 a year. After that, we doubled it. We sold it for $2,400 a year. So you get a Panasonic, a reseller's website with up-to-date Panasonic product catalog. And, and you can use it to present your business to potential customers and, and generate leads. And then everything was, after that was done off the system because at that time we did have CRM, lead management and capabilities that we added later on. And, and we grew the business from that. So we, we went to other vendors, other resellers. That's where we a company actually focused, which is our core business today, channel marketing. Started to focus more and more narrowly on channel, on resellers, dealers, agents, partners. And for about 10, 12 years, we sold directly to small businesses. And later on, about six, seven years ago, we turned the platform and added the vendor level and turned the business from selling to small businesses to sell to enterprises. So today, almost 100% of our revenue come from enterprises. Uh, and they take our platform and instead of selling the services to their partners, which we used to do, we work with vendors, they take our platform, they customize it for their specific network of resellers on a global basis and provide, a, provide them the solution, uh, which will be content for the website, email marketing, social marketing, online advertising, webinar event, any type of web presence or digital marketing tool with the content built into the system that they can provide to their local resellers so they can go and drive demand for the product they represent. So today it's an enterprise software and we don't do services or marketing services anymore. And our customers are, are the top leading uh, brands in the technology space. Everybody from Google to IBM, ServiceNow, and dozens of dozens of other large global tech companies that rely on, on our platform to support their channel partners in 52 different languages and countries all around the world. Very cool, man. That's that's awesome. So just so I 100% understand, so if I'm one of these big brands, what do I need to put into structured web? And then as one of my the big brand resellers, what do I get from structured web mm -hmm. when I log in? So as a big brand, you go to Structure Web and you can uh, you can upload to the system any type of marketing content, marketing instructions, and uh, support and training for your local resellers to use. Okay. So basic part, you can use our content syndication, which automatically with a simple setup will keep that brand product information presence on their channel partner, the reseller website up to date. So the moment the reseller take wow. a two line of JavaScript and put on their website, they will have the entire product catalog of the vendors up to date at any given moment on their website. And they can of course customize it. If they sell just portion of that vendor product catalog, they can customize it. So they can just present subset of the entire catalog. And of course, all of that come, the vendor can put it in as many languages as they want based on the market and territories that they serve. So they can have everything. They put an email. They can put content to their partner's website. That will be content syndication. They can upload okay. emails with landing pages for lead capture to our system, and then the reseller logs in, find that email. They can. They have a library. They can browse those 
the browse the content, find the one that fits for their market and their target industry and language, customize it with their logo, can customize the content. And there is a built-in email marketing system so they can upload their mailing list and send emails and that automatically will go to a landing page, capture leads and they have the lead management system. So we give them the content and the technology combined together already pre-configured. So the same, if you go back to the story where we started with the chiropractors, the idea was click a button, you're up and running in 10 minutes. Here as a channel partner representing, let's say Google or IBM or ServiceNow, you can log into the system, you log in through them. So we're selling it to our customers. It's fully private label. When you go to IBM, it says IBM. When you go to Google, it says Google, it doesn't say structure uh, web. You log into your Google relationship, to your uh, Google Cloud Platform partner portal. You go to the marketing area and from there you can run all these marketing activities from banner advertising to webinar events, uh, email marketing, content syndication, social marketing, and it's all automated. So let's say if you want to keep your Google, uh, your LinkedIn account up to date with Google posts about uh, GCP, Google Pl Cloud Platform solution and product, you just go to uh, the channel marketing platform uh, powered by Structure Web, you click subscribe and every content that Google decide that you should post to your LinkedIn account will go automatically. Every week, the partner gets notification what is planned for them for next week. So they do have control in the process. And if they like it, they just do nothing and it will be posted to the LinkedIn account. Or if they don't like something or edit something, then they need to log into the system. So we're virtually kind of automating their local marketing with a degree of involvement so they can configure it, they can change it, they can edit it, they can put their logo in others but a lot of the process is fully automated because most channel partners are much smaller organization than the vendors and they don't have that sophisticated marketing skills and dedicated person and dedicated system and even if they do have uh, to take content from the vendor and configure it in your system if it be a series of emails with landing pages and lead nurturing all these steps are kind of complex operation even if you have the knowledge um, but most channel partners don't have a large dedicated marketing team and that support of content, technology, and the entire process already pre-configured enable them to go and drive local business and, and grow their operation as well. No, that makes a lot of sense. Well, even if you do have it internally, like the amount of time that it takes to manually do all this stuff is a ton of work. Like it's multiple people's full-time job in a week. Is that fair to say? Yes, it's, it's very complex. And if you want to go out and, and maybe hire an expert to do it for you, uh, yeah. it can cost tens of thousands of dollars every year to do that. And that's something that as a channel partner, uh, if your vendor work with, uh, works with Structure Web, you get at no cost. It's an entitlement as part of being a channel partner. So we save gotcha. businesses a lot of money and enable those small businesses around the world really to go and, and embrace and use the digital marketing but without the complexity and, and challenges that typically you face with if you try to do it on your own. And, and we, we see great demand for that. We have more and more customers using it and providing it, especially in the last two years where before the pandemic, you know, digital marketing was about 50% of the spend of channel market, channel partners on marketing. They used to do a lot of events and local activities and, and breakfast and, and seminars. Uh, because the pandemic, this all went away, so they had to turn all their marketing 100% to digital marketing, and and we see big big increase in demand for channel marketing solutions in the last two years because of that. No, that that makes a lot of sense. So 
I'm curious, do I get, well, I'm assuming that as the enterprise company and the reseller, I, I get kind of stats and updates about how well things are doing or not doing in my local area. So I can kind of modify or change to say like, you know what, our Instagram feed is working well, or it's not working well. Maybe we should do more or less of those different uh, verticals or how does that kind of work? Yeah, that's, that's an excellent question. And, and actually part of the core of the offering of Structural Wave is all the analytics. So we do provide okay. the channel partners with the analytics typical that you'll expect from a small business marketing automation system. So if you send an email, you can see how many people open it, click rate, lead rate. If you share something on social, you can see the engagement level, uh, clicks on the content, if there are any links in the content zone. But most, most channel partners don't have time, resources to look at the data. And also they have very small sample of data because just their own local marketing. Uh, so the strength of the analytics and data is comes more uh, to the vendor side. They have visibility of everything in the process from the moment they upload content, they can see what content they themselves upload because there could be many people in the organization uploading content. Right. They can see the engagement of the partners. They can see if partners actually go and go and look at this content. Do they activate the content? And then if they activate the content, depend on the channel, email, social, website content syndication, so on, they can see the engagement level, impression, number of clicks, number of leads, and can analyze it also by a country, by region, globally, by product, by type of business, by messaging, because we collect the data across all the partners, right? Without yeah. disclosing any partners, a customer's personal information. So the vendor never have access to the partner customer list. It's kept confidential, but they get aggregated reports that they can analyze. And because of the volume of data, uh, they get much better data to run statistics and understand what message works and what work and what messages don't work and tactics and combination of them uh, at a, a global scale. Got you. Okay. And then you guys have a whole services arm side of this business. Do you want to talk about what that means and what services you actually provide your customers? Most of our services uh, are surrounding the implementation of the product. Okay. So it's provide because it's an enterprise product, it provides high, high degree of customization. So as we said, if you're Google or IBM or ServiceNow, you can customize the product to the pixel perfect to match your brand your go-to-market strategy, you can customize it to different languages, different territories, even create a lot of variation to support different type of channel partners, right? If you sell to distributors, you might need a different experience than if you sell to uh, local uh, system integrators or you have uh, other software companies that embed your product into their product, they need typically, typically different type of marketing support. So we help our customers with the customization of the product, the best practice to implement it, uh, training and support. Uh, but when it comes to the actual marketing work, we're not a marketing agency. So we're a right. software company. We focus on, on the software and delivering the best software. When it comes to the marketing, to the messaging, creative, look and feel, a translation of that, uh, there are interfaces where other agencies can be um, integrated to the system to support the vendors and to support the channel partners. Uh, so we serve as the hub for all these different parties to collaborate, but we don't provide or facilitate these services. Got it. Okay. No, that, that makes sense. So how long roughly does it take to onboard 
one of these brands and then I can start actually using this and giving the platform out to my resellers? The typical process takes us about, uh, let's say, 90 days. Okay. Uh, but we recently uh, onboarded a customer and they went with that public and also shared that. So I can share, we, we onboarded Zoom. Zoom is one of right. the structured web customer and they are the a target day to launch and we launched them in 30 days. So okay. it's impossible to move fast. faster, but typically 90 days is the typical integration and launch time. Got you. No, that makes a lot of sense. So I, I'm curious because you guys, well, you've had structured web for what, 20 plus years now, how have you made the company relevant and stay relevant and change with the times? Because it's challenging enough to get through, you know, a couple of years, a recession, you know, all the different changes that have come with the web, but how have you made sure you've stayed current and pivoted and changed the product to stay with the times? Because that in itself is extremely difficult. Yeah, it is, and you no, know, we did two things. First, focus on uh, what's currently is in demand in the market. Um, we build a company with uh, focusing on selling and generating revenue, and and most of the years investing that revenue back into the product. So a very product-driven company. Okay. And we kept you know adjusting and uh, pivoting when needed, um, but uh, the story. It's the same story. If you look at where we started, a structured website for similar businesses. So today it's not right. just structured website, structured marketing for similar businesses. The go to market is different. The service offering is different, but the core focus of the company, we didn't, when we pivoted, we didn't change on 90 degrees or to the uh -huh. right or to the left, right? We did small pivots, so five degrees here and five degrees there, but we always like, you know, when you ski, you go, you keep your face focusing downhill. Right while right. You, you go on the slopes, no left and right. We we did virtually the same, right? Stay focused on the target, but you have to change, otherwise you'll crush. Right. Interesting. No, that's yeah. that's actually yeah. really good advice. I'm curious because you've obviously done this for so long. Is how have you stuck true to your roadmap, especially when you have huge customers? probably saying like, we really want you to add X, Y, and Z. And I, I know you mentioned some customization. So how do you manage your roadmap, their customizations and kind of their feature requests, whether they make sense for the other two? Mm -hmm. One major principle that we kept all the years from day one. And okay. mind you, we started to build SaaS software as a service application in 1999 when nobody even thought about it or it was very common or no common practices, we made decision back then to have one platform, right? So never unique version or code to specific customers and, okay. and multi-tenant. So it's a one instance of the application running for all the customers with the proper security in place. Gotcha. So even, even to date, if somebody asks us to add some capabilities to the system, if we need to do customization, it will always be a code and functionality that will be available to all of our customers, right? So we don't have gotcha. five versions of the product. We have one single version of the product. And if we need to customize, it will be always through con configuration. We don't write custom code. Um, so keeping the operation very efficient and, and keep those principles as a guidance, guidance way to build the product and not deviate from that, that was very important. And the other one is just listen to the customer. Um, 
we just listen to what they need and we keep adjusting, adding more capabilities, changing the features, um, improving things, but customers know what they want. If you listen to them and, and that's the biggest asset, you know, as a startup, the biggest problem is you, you think about something, but you don't have customers. As a company already in market, a year or two, even three years, you don't have to have 10 or 20 years, but even if, after the handful of customers that you brought up on board, just if you listen to them, they guide you where to, to go. And if you listen carefully, you, you'll find all these nuances that will make the product better, the service better, and help you to be successful. And that's even up to date. That's what, what we do. Uh, I'm, I'm the CEO of the company, but I spend a lot of my time on the product. I believe that the best product eventually win in market. And, and that's what we do. We're very, a very a product-driven company and not sales or marketing-driven company. Got you. No, that, that's actually really good advice. So I want to get some other advice from you because obviously you've built a number of businesses, some vertical, new vertical businesses, and you've obviously, like we just covered, is you've been able to pivot your businesses to, to stay relevant. What advice do you give people in building these businesses? Because we all know you have highs and lows and a roller coaster mm -hmm. ride and all the fun stuff that yeah. and bad stuff that can come. So <laughs> what advice do you give to people to, to kind of get through some of the hard times? I would say first, you have to be passionate about what you do. And okay. if I am, I would say I always I'm lucky in my life that I do something that I love. It doesn't okay. say that every day is a great day and there are no, as you said, the ups and downs, but I have the luxury to do something that I love, build product, build services, deal with technology. Um, and, and that's, that's really what drives me every day, right? When, when I, I get excited, it's about product, about code, it's about new technology, if it's AI or machine learning or otherwise. And that's what I think what's so fascinating about the technology industry and how I kept myself very focused about the business because this business, the technology, what we do, the product, the customers, where it was 22 years ago, it's quite different than where it is today. So I'd say to a new entrepreneur first, no, understand what you're getting into. It's, it's a not an easy uh, process at all. You need to be fully devoted to that, invest 24 hours of your day, right? So very little amount of sleep uh, and mm -hmm. uh, seven days a, a, a week, right? So it's it's a constant business. You never get a break. You never take a vacation. Physically, you might take a vacation, but I don't think I took, uh, mentally, I took a vacation the last 22 years or since I started to work in startups. And and there are going to be a lot of challenges down the road. It's There are more challenges than upsides and you have to, play them and, and find a way to bypass those challenges and, and innovate, innovate product, innovate marketing strategies, innovate uh, partnerships. Uh, through the years, that, that was the number one driver uh, to my progress was that, no, you f face a challenge, you find a solution. And to be honest, that's something I learned in the army. You know, you go out to a mission, you do a lot of planning, a lot of preparation, but when you're in the field, that's it. You have fixed number of resources, you have fixed number of of people with you and and you need to get mission accomplished and the training that i got in the army you don't come back without mission accomplished so figure out how and you learn how to figure out and you you find very interesting and surprising way to accomplish the mission business-wise uh, uh, military-wise or in personal life no i i think that's really good advice is there stuff that you wish you knew 
that you would like to pass on to say your younger self? Yes, there's one thing when people ask me this question that I always like to bring up. When when I said to build to uh, my first company and want to raise capital, uh, people asked me, do you have a business plan? Uh, back then I didn't know um, how to write a business plan. So I, I went, went and bought the book, how to write a business plan and went chapter by chapter. <clears throat> and they go, now what is the product? What is the market opportunity, customers, competition? And you go through all these chapters and you read them, you write, because you understand what you do. And then I go to a chapter that was quite interesting. I'm talking about my first startup was in the early 90s. It's called in Environmental Effects. Okay. And I'm talking about the environment. It says, no, how, how, how the weather can affect my business. I didn't understand at that time that environmental effects, and probably there were not enough examples in the book, it's all about the things that you don't control in life, right? Right. So we're talking about new technology emerging, like the internet, that's environmental effect. Now we had a company that did A and suddenly there is a new technology that's affecting you in a positive way. September 11 was a big you know, shock to the organization that's affecting you, environmental, environmental effect that is negative to the organization. So when typically you sit and, and build a business plan and you decide what you want to do, you and your team, I think most of us are focused on what we can do and we trust ourselves and we know the skills, we know the weaknesses that we have, and we pay very little attention to what's going in the, uh, out in the surrounding of our core business. And the surrounding has very significant effect, both positive, in many cases positive. If you look at, you no, know, um, if you take Airbnb, and they started in a time where, you know, iPhone came to market and Facebook came to market. And if you try to do Airbnb five or six years there, it would not be as successful as it was, right? right. So those are positive environmental effects that, that create for you opportunities, create for you new platform, new technologies, new way to reach customers. And, and also disaster situation like September 11th or not to that degree, recession that we had later on the, the housing crisis in 2008. All of those have significant effects on the business. And I suggest to people pay attention to them. And look for opportunities and be prepared for threats like the pandemic or, or the housing crisis or something similar to that. So does that mean then that you're constantly reading the news or, or kind of other publications to make sure you're up on current events so you can predict the future as much as possible or or what is your advice around that <laughs> i read everything my wife make a joke of me that i'm probably the only person in the universe that read the stories on the milk books <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah so i read the news i i try to stay up to date from politics to healthcare to uh, technology, right? Um, and but the, the key part is to read, but also to react. Now, some things sometimes you see them and you know how to react. Uh, sometimes there are situations that will take you three or four years after they happen that you can react to them. So it's not everything that you read, you get it. But uh, I would say pay attention not just for the internal core of your business, which all of us do, and we focus about ourselves, about the business, about the employees, about the customers. But a lot of what's going on is outside and that could represent, I think in most cases, by the way, an opportunity more than a threat. And, and being able to, to read the map and see where the industry is going, to talk to customers, uh, to look at new platform and not to be too much focused just on your business and your industry uh, can represent an opportunity for you to find new ways to grow the business and, and, and you create a new distribution channel.
I'll give you an example. When we started with Vocaltech, we, we sold the software online and we want to enter to retail. And right. to get to retail back then to put your product packaged, a software product on the shelf is, was you know, a lot of money. You have to show that you have a huge budget for to create consumer demand. And we tried and we couldn't. So one day I went to Comdex and I walked there and there was a booth, beautiful booth, white booth, very, very unique. It looked very different than any other software company booth. And I went in and said, what do you do? He says, oh, we're a book publisher. So why are you here? It's a software uh, uh, trade show. They look, we, we created this book called the AOL Membership Guide. And we want to sell it in bookstores, but no bookstore will take our book and, and put it because they just sell packed software. So we went to AOL, America Online back then, and asked them if we can sell their software. And back then, AOL was sending millions of those, their software by mail every day to subscribe, uh, to gain your subscribers. So these guys from Tana Communications, they did that. They put the book, they took the software from AOL and actually paid a percentage of every book that they sold looked like a software in a box. And uh, that was a huge success. So I said, you know what? We have this internet phone here and we're trying to get to retail. Would you take the software, put it in a box, write a book about it, and maybe we put also software to connect people to the internet because at that time, most people were not connected to the internet. And they did it. And three months later, we were on every retail store in the country selling our product without investing anything, building that infrastructure ourselves. No, that, that's actually really smart and really actually good advice for people because sometimes you need to partner with somebody that has the resources to get to where you want to be, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. And it can be a distribution channel, a new product innovation, or a threat like the pandemic. And But actually, I saw a lot of companies that took the pandemic, turned them over, and, and created opportunities, especially companies that were focused like Zoom on online meetings, webinar events, uh, online educations. I know some companies that were like Visible, another Israeli company that they were all focused, all the business, 100% of the business was on physical events. And I believe like 30 or 60 days after the pandemic hit, they turned the product over and turned it to be a great product for virtual events. It's not easy, it's quite complex to turn the entire business, but they saw an opportunity and I don't know, I don't know them personally, but from the stories that here, they're doing very well because they turned their business now they're both in virtual and physical events and growing their business quite nicely. No, I, I think that's actually really good advice. And and you're right. Like, I think the one of the plus pluses of the pandemic, and I don't think there's very many of them, was it really made people kind of reinvent themselves. And in a lot of cases, it really brought out like a, the true entrepreneurs, right? Mm -hmm. Because when there's not a lot of things that are worse than a pandemic to try to get your business through right yeah yeah and some businesses look you cannot change them like if you're right. in the travel industry or hospitality you, you're you have very little room to innovate and and create you probably i'm really sorry for a lot of these people but they probably had to go in and create a completely new business uh, right. but a lot of other businesses even restaurants where i saw a lot of restaurants changing the way they operate. They move more to delivery and, and they repackage the product. They change the menu so they get fit better for delivery. So you always have to be agile. You have to change and adapt to the market situation. And I'm not talking about the crisis where your business is completely 
finish and there is no market, but other than that, you adjust or you don't survive. No, I, I think that's really good advice. But sadly, we're coming to the end of the show. So how about we close with mentioning where people can get more information about yourself, Structured Web, and any other uh, links you want to mention? About myself, the easiest way to uh, get in, in touch with me or find me would be through my LinkedIn page. Just look for Daniel Nissan on LinkedIn. And Structured Web, you can check www.structuredweb.com to find more information and if you have any business in the channel your channel partner or vendor selling to channel partners would love talking to you perfect daniel well i really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be on the show and i look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day man thank you very much kevin i appreciate the invite and was pleasure pleasure having this conversation today you as well thanks very much okay thank you Bye. thanks for listening please visit our website at buildingthefutureshow.com to join the free community, sign up for our newsletter, or to sponsor the show. The music is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future.